If you're thinking about outsourcing, you've come to the right place. Let's talk about business, entrepreneurship, technology, and opportunities here on Mangtas Nation. Welcome to the Mangtas Nation podcast. Today, we will be talking about how leaders face challenges in the remote setup and what efforts they exert to support their teams. But before anything else, let us introduce our star of the day. Together with us today is a senior executive with 20 years of experience in leading teams and businesses within the finance and information technology industries. And over the last 10 years, he has held senior leadership positions across Asia and has helped drive strong results courtesy of a hands-on and collaborative management style. Now, he is known to be an action-oriented leader that motivates and develops his colleagues. And today, he plays a key role in providing compliance, security, security, and safety solutions to some of the world's largest companies. Now, everyone here with us is the Chief Financial and Operating Officer of BrightCrowd, Mr. James Stewart. Hello, everyone. Very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, James. Well, um, we'll just jump right in. James, we would like, I'm sure everybody else also would like to know about your story. So uh, what is the story behind James Stewart? Well, Jackie, where do I start? If I start (laughs) right at the beginning, there won't be much time left. (laughs) I'll start maybe from a professional perspective. I I came out of uh, university with a finance and economics background, uh, and I would have finished universities towards the end of the 1990s, uh, and that was a, a great opportunity for finance. Um, banks were becoming very international, so there were a lot of opportunities in that space. And I began my career with some of the larger you know, global investment banks and moved around the world. Um, I spent quite some time in, in the UK, in Dublin, uh, back in Sydney, where I come from. Uh, and then I went to Amsterdam with a, a large Dutch bank before spending quite a bit of time in Asia as well. So that was Hong Kong, Malaysia, and Singapore. And now I find myself back in Australia uh, working for a, a smaller uh, software institution. Uh, many, many different cultures uh, and experience, you know, global, the global marketplace and, and how companies have to, uh, have to sort of adapt to stay relevant and grow. Okay. Wow. That um, thank you. Thank you for that summary, James. And uh, indeed, you have had a lot of experience, I imagine, with uh, managing remote teams. And in your in your experience, James, I'd like to ask. We'd like to ask. What are the recurring challenges that you have been facing throughout the years? Yeah, I, I think. Look, remote teams. That's been that's been part and parcel of of uh, of uh, my career right throughout. Um, as I mentioned before, we were in many different locations, but it was never the case that all the team members were in that same location. Uh, and, and I saw really sort of an increase in outsourcing throughout my career. A lot of the banks, a lot of the banks started to outsource a lot of back office areas, which is finance, which is IT, the areas I'm in, interested in or involved in. Um, so there was always a, a case of building outsourcing capabilities, um, offshore business units, 
uh, and managing those teams remotely. Uh, and I think, I think probably on balance, that has been a very rewarding experience. There's been a lot of learnings along the way, what works well in terms of remote uh, working with remote teams or managing remote teams, what doesn't. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I look back at the companies I've worked with and I don't think we could have made as much progress if we hadn't of outsourced a lot of those functions. I think those companies would have probably started to stagnate a little bit uh, in, in outsourcing, we kind of moved to the next level. It wasn't really a pure cost uh, drive in the end. It was really about just leveraging skills in a better way for those companies. Oh, interesting. Interesting that you mentioned outsourcing, James. When it comes to outsourcing, what are the services that you would be comfortable outsourcing and what services do you prefer to keep in-house? Yeah, well, it started with outsourcing was really uh, where I saw it predominantly was things like accounts payable, receivable, intercompany reconciliations, statutory reporting, and and it started to extend well beyond that. So where we are today, I really see there's very little that can't be successfully outsourced. Um, there is a balance. So companies need to strike a balance. What What is a task that uh, that works in 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 terms of outsourcing and what's something that you want to develop. Uh, as an example, at the moment we write Crowd Limited, which is a, an Australian um, stock exchange listed company, which I'm uh, the CFO and the COO for. We've actually just moved into um, the US market. We have a lot of activity there, and we've listed on one of the exchanges. And one of the examples where we came across a decision around outsourcing was about investor relations and public relations activity. And I think that's a classic task where outsourcing makes perfect sense to try and recruit someone with such a specific skill set and niche skill set, which requires knowledge of so many companies and so many people and so many industries is not something that you're going to be able to build up organically within the company itself. And if you do, you need to be very lucky and you need to dedicate a huge amount of time. So when you have a task which really probably um, is not something that you can make the investment in to bring someone up to speed and you know that there are professionals out there that can offer you a fantastic service, um, then then outsourcing is, makes perfect sense. Uh, there are other tasks where, you know, Alternately, we are looking at um, some areas in the team where outsourcing might not make sense. And typically, that is when you want to bring in somebody and you want them to grow with the company. You want that skill set to be built in one area, but then to be able to be uh, you know, transferred into another. So, for example, uh, we have a number of clients and we're building a support organization, a 24-7 support organization. And even though those skill sets can be outsourced and can be outsourced well, you know, we've made the decision that actually it's an opportunity for uh, young graduate engineers to come into the company to understand our product sets and perhaps to develop with the company into doing more than just the support role so they can become our future engineers and the like. And I think that's when outsourcing is probably not the right fit because outsourcing is a little bit more transactional um, and you can work with certain parties, get a service, but it might not go beyond that. So that's how we kind of look at it. But, um, but to answer your question, I think outsourcing 
is absolutely critical for certain types of roles in the company. And ask your question, James, on the providers that you're working with. Typically, how did you find them? Yeah, look, we have, um, we have, I guess it's a bit of a mixture. Generally, you work within fairly tight circles within the industry in which you're, which you're active. So you will probably have um, colleagues at competitors. Uh, so it'll be word of mouth or you're watching what other people are doing. And sometimes certain providers or, um, you know, become uh, well-recognized or have a good reputation. So it, it'll be through industry circles that you can get information about that word of mouth. Um, but then we've also seen it open up a lot. So there's a lot of um, opportunities through web search and um, uh, looking at particular skill sets to, to be able to find what you're looking for, for to, to outsource. Would you be surprised if we said that 70% of these services are actually found via Google? Is that right? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm probably not surprised. We're, we're, we're seeing the power of Google and, you know, we use it a lot also for uh, pipeline and lead generation. So, yeah, uh, that's probably not that surprising. Um, yeah. No. So um, maybe another question we, we were thinking about. So you have, you have some experience, a lot of experience with uh, remote teams. Right, if experience with outsourcing to external parties, um, is there a difference in your opinion uh, having remote teams and external parties, and do you manage these things differently? Yeah, probably not. I think a lot of the principles around how you manage those teams apply, whether it's an internal remote team or an outsourced provider. I think things like SLAs between the teams, expectations, clearly defined roles and responsibilities escalation procedures i think they all are applicable in in both scenarios if you if you really do want to if you do want to maximize the value of of that setup um there may be from a remote team's perspective there may be a little bit more investment required in terms of you know building a a a a common culture across that so they'll you know things like travel to to the remote team and and bringing them into into the broader team to make sure that they feel included and there's no us versus them. I think when you outsource, it's more of a commercial transaction and, and, and both parties understand that, you know, they are independent entities and there is no longer term path towards uh, integration. So, so I think in, in that model, you know, the outsourcing perhaps is, is a little bit easier. Um, but as I said before, you know, the remote teams also works, particularly when you want to see those remote teams become part of your organization over the long term. Well, speaking of remote teams, James, like how do you maintain supervision of your remote teams? Like how do you make sure that everybody does their assigned tasks? We've had obviously a, a very interesting period and, and it's put it's on it's put all our, our thinking. Uh, on its head, really. Um, typically, the way I've liked to manage remote teams is is to is to really um, bring them in to the fold to to make them feel included, to give them autonomy, um, but but obviously also close direct management to make sure that you know those those ideas and things are being validated across across the organisation. Um, they've also been the opportunities to travel. Uh, to to have some initiatives like a, a get together for the teams to learn to know each other, 
Um, those are all very important to managing a remote team. But but as as you guys know, with COVID nineteen, that has has not been possible. Um, I think you guys might be seeing some relaxation of travel rules. Um, but for Australia at the moment, we're uh, we're actually in lockdown. Hence, I'm, I'm I'm taking the call from home, and um, and there's no opportunity to to travel. Um, our company has quite a large operation in Manila. We have an operation in Belgium. We have an operation in New Jersey, and we have operations in Seattle. So typically, pre-COVID, I would have employed those strategies, spent some, a lot of time with the teams manage them closely and try to get together as much as we could. Uh, and that's not been an option. It hasn't been for the last 18 months and probably won't for a further 12 months. So our company has been working through a lot of things on how we adapt to that scenario. Some of the, some of the, the, the items I mentioned in terms of managing them, that can be done remotely and we do do that. Um, but without that sort of face-to-face contact, we've used a lot of the tools that everybody's using a lot more. So Microsoft Teams, Zoom, uh, those form the part of our, a big part of how we communicate. We like to keep the camera on when we can, um, just to sort of establish that face-to-face contact. We've started using other collaboration tools more heavily. So Yammer is a favorite of our company and we, we use it very well. Um, and, and just more regular employee check-ins. So we've had to really be conscious of you know, how people are doing, uh, mental health, employee welfare, um, just little things to really make sure that people aren't feeling isolated because it's very easy to, to end up feeling isolated in this scenario. Um, so, so we've finessed the way we manage our remote teams a little bit. Um, We'd love to get back over and see them all again and and have them come out here to head office in Australia, but it's just not going to be possible for a while yet. Also beyond management per se, how about team building? Like, is there something to like, like, I mean, we know that James uh, from, from people that we, from people on the street, we know that James likes team building sessions. Um, How do you carry that over into a virtual environment? Yeah, we've had some we've had some interesting attempts at team building. I think we had um, we had our Manila office do a, a dress up party over Teams, uh, which was which was very interesting to say the least. I think it was come as your favorite Marvel character, and everyone was zooming in and uh, Teamsing in with their videos on. So you know, look, I think we try and keep it fun, but it's not it's not a it's not a replacement for the real thing. So. We're, we're very conscious that even though it may not be on an international scale, but as soon as regulations permit in, in our various locations, we will be investing some, some money and time into the teams getting together, having a, an end of financial year celebration, just to rebuild those, those connections. Um, over the 18 months, we've, we've probably hired around 30-odd people as well that have entered the organization without the ability to actually meet people. Um, and that's, I think that's where you start to see a little bit of a cultural impact from the COVID scenario that maybe the ones pre-COVID ha- had a, an appreciation for the company culture, but the people that have arrived um, in the in the virtual uh, environment, they just haven't been able to pick that up. So we'll be doing a, a few more sessions like that, um, meet people in location where we can. Oh, interesting. 
Potter, would you consider coming uh, coming to work in costume? We <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can try that. I um, <laughs> I dressed up as Thanos, and I had to I had to give my thirteen year old son explain exactly who Thanos was, but uh, I found it in his cupboard just before jumping on the call. Um, no one knew who I was except for the fact that my name was written at the bottom of the teams. But uh, yeah, about, I, I, I think that's a good idea. I think you probably should. Just go Thanos. Nobody knows who I am anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the I've heard of another similar story, James, that you went to another costume party, you dressed up as somebody, nobody knew who you were. Is that, is that, not, that seems like a regularly occurring thing. I'm not sure if you saw that on my LinkedIn profile, but um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think that happened. Did you work a cap or anything? No, nothing like that? <laughs> there may have been one or two, one or two uh, uh, failed dress-up attempts in my, uh, in my prior career. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might just um, pin those suggestions, James, and definitely apply that <laughs> for Mangtas. But now... How with with somebody in your you know with all that you've achieved, James, and uh, somebody in your position, how do you still ma- how have you managed to become such a good and effective leader? Well, that's Jackie. That's very nice of you to to say. I, I think if if you apply them, it's probably not that hard to be an effective leader. Um, it's really the ability to listen and to take the time. I think if you, as a leader, end up becoming a little bit too consumed in your own tasks um, and your own priorities, that comes at the expense of maybe not having enough time to direct others. And as a leader, that's actually your primary function, trying to find that time, help people through whatever their tasks are, help reprioritize and, and deal with deal with escalations and issues. Um, Quite often, it's, it's it's amazing how common it is that that leaders who typically have skill sets that that you know are, are aligned with leadership, so great subject matter expertise, uh, very clever, that they can just lose sight of managing the team. Um, so I think that's one a very you know a very simple one. Um, I think as as a good friend once 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 said to me, um, you know. Uh, crises are actually opportunities to make some good changes, and um, and I think that's also a way to approach leadership. It's it's very easy for something to go wrong. There will always be something that goes wrong, but it's how you react to that, how you deal with that, that that I think makes makes a good leader. Um, and, and certainly taking the view that that's an opportunity for improvement is is one way to do that. Very nice, very beautiful. That's definitely the the answer of a of a great leader. Crises are opportunities to make good changes. Nice, very nice. No, but apart from from that, James, I I know you've joined some Ironman competitions. How do you how do you how do you do that? Oh, <laughs> uh, look, I I have to say, um, I'm by no means. Uh, a good uh, athlete in that sense. I, I've just done it for fun. It's a, it's one of those things that it's also really important to just be able to balance work. And, and I think when you take time out from work and have something that you enjoy doing, you just are able to put things into perspective. You know, sometimes some things at work may just consume you. And if you continue thinking about it, 
it, it becomes a bigger problem than it actually needs to be. So taking some time out, I, I did, I've done it um, through, through exercise. Having some good friends to do that together with is a, is a really great thing. It just helps balance things out. And, and also uh, I found personally that those times running around or on the bike is a great time to reflect and think about things. So I've enjoyed doing that. Now in saying that, um, having moved back to Australia, um, I'm sorry to report that my Ironman attempts have reduced in frequency quite dramatically. Uh, there's a lot, um, uh, three kids at, at sort of approaching teenage years means that most of my time is spent driving them around to various sporting activities. Uh, but that's okay. I think it's, I think it was a, it was a great thing. And I, I just encourage everybody, you know, to find that thing that you enjoy doing and, and, and try and do it as frequently as you can. Uh, maybe a little side question. So, so prior to this podcast, you showed us your, your beautiful garden. Maybe a quick question. How many decisions have you made while gardening? Oh, well, that's good. So I like to, I've made some great decisions about whether I cut the grass finer or let it grow a little bit longer. Um, I, I tend to, I tend to, when I'm gardening, I tend to put the podcasts on and I, I listen to, you know, whatever the, the latest news or an economist podcast or things like that. So, so for me, that's, that's not been so much a, uh, a decision-making process. It's more about relaxing. Um, but, um, but I think when you have those clear periods where, ne- where there's no distraction, you know, probably something like swimming or, you know, there's, there's nothing else to think of. And, Typically, things pop into your head like, oh, hang on, maybe I should do this at work. So, um, yeah, it depends on the activity that you're doing. But gardening, I wouldn't recommend gardening for, uh, for great life-changing decisions. Oh, we can relate to that for sure. A lot of decisions were made while, while running and swimming and all that. So, so and usually the best one. Uh, yes. For sure. Yes. Very good. <laughs> Take time. Take time. I've heard you mention that a couple of times already during uh, during our session today, James. And I'm sure a lot of people have the problem of taking time to do something. How? What would be your you know? What would be your advice? And this is probably like a million dollar question. How can you make time to take time? Yeah, you you. I love reading. I love reading. Um, you know just about executives that, that have reached the top of their game, um, CEOs of companies, uh, and, and generally in their profile, it's always quite common that they make a point of taking time. They really do. They, they say, okay, look, I could be, my position um, could make me the busiest person in the world because there's no shortage of, of issues to deal with, but they all seem to have a common approach uh, as I do is that you just have to really for the benefit of not only yourself, but also the company you're working with, putting some time in the diary, keeping to that schedule is quite an important thing um, for, for everyone involved. So, uh, so you just need to make a point of it, whether it's just simple things like putting it into that three o'clock or be at the, be at the play or whatever. Those are all just very, very important things to, to keep doing. Fantastic, indeed. And uh, well, in the true essence of taking time, how can a platform like ours or the teams in the platform 
help with that, like help businesses? Do you think that we can actually buy businesses some time by uh, by outsourcing through Montas? Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, you you you're um you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we we have things that that cross our path. We might not have somebody with that particular skill set in the company. Um, and well, I can think of practical examples. Perhaps um, you know, we we have a we have an annual report that we need to release to the the stock exchange every year. Uh, we have you know a, a lot of great people that can contribute to the compilation of that report, the financial information, the commentary, etc. But then there's a whole new skill set around making that report something that is picked up and appealing to the investors so it's how it looks it's the type of information the presentation of that information the 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 um you know the content what works what doesn't and, and we look at our company and say that's the skills we can have a go at that and we have in previous years but you can really see the difference between a company that has professionals either they have them in-house or they've outsourced um, and maybe what we've been able to produce in our spare time, right? A, a finance professional is not going to be somebody that, that can build a brand. So those are the types of things where I think, and companies are getting smarter, where they go, okay, well, hang on, I could probably invest a good portion of my time and come out with an end product that will never be anywhere near where it needs to be if a professional did that. And those are the tasks that outsourcing works perfectly for because they're transactional. You bring a skill set in. You know, if you work it out on an economics basis, it's actually cheaper because a, a CFO or a COO working on a on the presentation of an annual report is not a cost-effective use of that person's time when they don't have that skill set. And that's the beauty of the whole outsourcing world, that the way we've moved, that it's now so easy to find that skill set, to lock that skill set in to price that skill set against other quotes out there, to work with third-party providers to, to, to connect. That, that I, I just see that growing and I see all companies really benefiting from that, um, thinking now a little bit harder about what's worth their while in doing and what's worth their while in outsourcing. It's almost like a, 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 an extension of specialization. We, we've known about specialization for a long time you know, if I use the finance analogy, um, there's no longer a single person that knows everything about taxation, about intercompany, about transfer pricing, about finance ERP systems. You have specialists in those areas. You build specialized teams. I think with outsourcing, every single task is almost specialized and you need to make the decision on whether you do that in-house or outsource. We like to say focus on what you do best, outsource the rest. Yeah, I think that's a very wise, very wise indeed. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, that's that's. Uh, so we provide a platform that is exactly that, right? Uh, allows you to find these services as services, but actually allows you to compare services as well. The same way you go to, for instance, at Amazon to shop for something, you can now shop for outsourcing services in a very structured manner, as opposed to using Google. How was that transition, Jackie? <laughs> Very good, Walter. <laughs> and outsourcing is an extension of specialization, and every single task is specialized. Nice. That's right. And uh, yeah. 
uh, to our listeners, James, who aspire to become great leaders, what would be your number one tip? Uh, look, I think um, I think uh, have patience. Be patient. Uh, a, a lot of people probably, you know, want to want want to move very quickly, but you, you probably sometimes need to recognize what are the skill sets you need to develop. Um, being a great leader takes time. I'm by no means where I want to be in that journey uh, as yet. So I think it's about waiting for the right opportunities, um, putting your hand up for those opportunities if they if they move you forward in terms of developing your skill set. Um, I think bringing it back to to perhaps our discussion on outsourcing. Sometimes great leadership is is recognizing what you're not able to do or be good at and outsource that. And through that activity, you actually learn, uh, learn a great deal. I mean, um, uh, I'll give an example, perhaps the, you know, I, I didn't really have a great knowledge of building an employee share scheme for the company, which was an important part of our growth. And, and, and we outsourced that. Uh, and I developed that skill set, and I now have that skill set, and, and, and I'm able to, to work with my team, um, you know, to further our, our journey in that direction. So, so I think great leadership is really about trying to learn as much as you can from as many opportunities and then, and then, you know, patiently waiting for, for your opportunity to, to demonstrate those skills. All right. Waiting for the right opportunities to come be patient and uh, water. Is there something you would like to say? No, no, no. I can't agree more. Those are very wise words from a very wise man, obviously. <laughs> and thank you for being so patient with us. Uh, you know, we, we have, uh, we, we've gone over time, but uh, yeah, uh, in the spirit of patience, I think that's okay. <laughs> it's my pleasure to join you guys. And I, look, I, 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 I've seen a little bit of, of Mangtest and what you do, and I think you guys are offering a great service. Um, I'd be very interested to check in again at some point and see how you're doing, but I've got every confidence you'll be very successful. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you. Well, that's, that's all then for today's episode of exploring how leading a remote team is like. Thank you for tuning in and uh, thank you very much to you, James, for all the insight into remote work and valuing time and simply for spending that time with us by joining us today and well to know more about Mangtas follow official Mangtas on social media pages on our social media pages Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Pinterest don't forget to subscribe to Mangtas Nation for more stories and advice we'll bring to you once again this is Jacqueline DeMank and Walter Delbar redefining the future of work this is Mangtas Nation 